0: Hello everyone, and welcome once again to Let's Talk Catholic with uh, Father Scott Lawler. I, uh, as I usually do, I'm going to start with the prayer for the canonization of Bishop Barriga, but I'm going to use the prayer that I used to use back in the day, because I found it. Um, so here it is. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh God, I adore you with all my heart. You sent your only Son to bring the joy of the gospel to a fallen world. Following in his footsteps, Venerable Frederick Barraga brought this same gospel to the people of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Due to his strong faith, unwavering service, and selfless sacrifice to you, please honour him with the title of Saint and grant the favours which I ask of you today. God our Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit I might hear the call of the new evangelization to deepen my own faith and the faith of my family and my parish family. May we, as a community of missionary disciples, grow in confidence to proclaim the gospel and boldly witness to the saving grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And if you have been following along as I've gone through this, um, in a somewhat erratic fashion uh, has to be said, you know that this will now be Bishop Barriger's diary entries for the month of July. So here we are 1852, July 1st. Wrote two, two letters, Bishop Henney Copied, Bishop Lefebvre. And there's a footnote for that. Bishop Paul Lefebvre was born in Belgium in eighteen twenty nine, eighteen o four, and ordained by Bishop Joseph Rosati in Saint Louis, or Saint Louis rather, on November thirtieth, eighteen thirty one. He was consecrated bishop on November twenty first, eighteen forty one, and appointed administrator of the diocese of Detroit. Bishop Lefebvre died in Detroit on March fourth, eighteen Sixty-nine, January. Uh, sorry, July second. Letter to M. Ortel. There's a footnote there. That's the editor of the Katharich Kirchenzeitschriften. Apologies to anybody who speaks German properly. He should cite the source from which he quoted. Uh, that's Barriger's asking for the source which said that Bariga would certainly be a bishop. Which, of course, turned out to be true, but um, I guess even in those days, surprise, surprise, the uh, powers that be couldn't keep their uh, gossip under control. Next entry, July 6th. Today I have described an entire notebook, the 22nd 16 pages. It was the 22nd facsimile of the dictionary. Thanks be to God. This evening I heard the news of the unfortunate death of Benjamin Morin while intoxicated. And as a footnote there, Benjamin Morin was a 38-year-old labourer born in Canada and husband of Harriet. His death while intoxicated was not unusual. Or death. Barriga mentions others who also met their death in this condition. Some died in fights, others losing their sense of Balance, direction, and common sense would wander off, being disorientated and lost, and in the winter starve or freeze to death. And as we all know, that kind of thing, of course, still goes on. Next entry July 10th Journey to Quincy Mine. July, Eliza- uh, uh, July Eliza- eliz- 11th, sorry about that. Sunday at Quincy Mine marriage of John Ryan and John Ryan was born in Ireland in 1829, emigrated to the United States in 1848 and was a pioneer in the Hancock area. He and his brother Edward were partners in numerous mining ventures in the Keweenaw area. In 1852 John became an explorer at the Quincy mine. He later held the position of captain at the Pewabic and Hecla mines. He and his wife Joanna Macdonald had two daughters and three sons, among whom were Mother Agnes Gonzaga Ryan, fourth General Superior of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Carnot de Lett, and John Ryan, copper industrialist and benefactor to the Sisters and of St. Joseph Hospital in Hancock. And that's from the history of the Upper Peninsula. So moving on with that same entry... Difficulties with C.C. Douglas, there's a footnote for that. C.C. Douglas was born in Springfield, New York, but moved to Mount Clemens, Michigan, as a youth. In 1844, he assisted Dr. Douglas Houghton in geological survey of the Upper Peninsula. As a pioneer in the copper region, he owned and organised many mining companies and was a business partner of Ransom Sheldon. He was also a member of the Michigan Legislature. He died in London, England, after 1863. Carrying on um, for that same entry, June 11th, 11th, Golden Rule of Prudence, say and write nothing that can be of any possible use to anybody against you. Footnote for that, this is a variation on one of Barrager's favourite expressions. It first appeared on November 2nd, 1888, in a diary notebook, which he kept at as a college student in Vienna. Barraga underlined this sentence twice, first in blue-green ink and then in red ink. So obviously C.C. Douglas was using something that he had written against him, but that's not recorded here yet. July 12th. Return to Lons. Reverend N. Barnum's footnote. Nelson Barnum was a 34-year-old Methodist clergyman born in Vermont. He and his wife, Natsio, had a 15-year-old son, Reverend N. Barnum and Mrs. Brown's visit. Mrs. Mr. Brown, rather. Mr. Brown, John Brown, was a Methodist missionary in the northern Keweenaw area. He was in Launce in 1843 when Barriga arrived there. July 13th entry. Note to C.C. C. Douglas. Had I known on the 6th of July what I know now, I would have written otherwise. Doesn't say. July 4- 14th. I would have written this. See, summary... In the letter register. And we don't have what that was. July 20th, today I completed the first half of transcribing Chippewa words from the first part of the dictionary. The first part of the dictionary was part one of the dictionary in Chippewa English, part two is English Chippewa. July 22nd, today more than half of my Indians went fishing to Bet Greece or Bet Gree and the footnote there but Grey is near the northeast tip of the Cumana Peninsula. July twenty ninth. Today I received a letter from the Right Reverend Henny, in which he says that it now demands only depends only on the Holy Father whether or not Upper Michigan will become a Vicariate apost- Apostolic. Whereupon I then immediately etc. He thus further he says further, I already believe you may assuredly count upon it that you will have to take also this burden on your shoulders. Then done first, and then considered too many has brought regret. The footnote there, Barriga underlined that sentence and added in the margin, whatever you do, do prudently. These annotations are in blue-green ink. And that's the end of the entries for 1852 for July. Moving on to 1853 for the July entries, which are not very many. July 1st Last night my left ear plugged up tight so that I cannot even hear my pocket watch when I press it tightly against it. Poor me. If I should remain so, it really remains so, through to August 2nd, he's written here in brackets, still so by April 21st, 1856. So. He's obviously looked back and wrote this on, if you remember, in previous entries for the diary, because we've, we started at January, he talked about how his ear was regularly bunged up. July 8th. Today I finally made the last correction for the Chippewa Dictionary, and that difficult task has now come to an end. As a footnote. The Right Reverend Frederick Baraga has brought a happy termination to his great work, a dictionary of the language spoken by the four or five Indian tribes on Lake Superior, whom he has spent the last 22 years of his life in evangelising. The labours of the printing room, where he has been for several months, to remain as close but a willing prisoner, watching the forms as they come from the hands of the compositor and correcting the proofs, have pressed somewhat heavily, on the never robust constitution of the good missionary. That was from a local newspaper. Then in July twenty-six, Today, finally, poor me, I'm leaving this dot 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 Cincinnati. July 27th. This morning I arrived in Detroit and on August 2nd, journey from there to Marie. Footnote. Here Barriga met Mother Mary Xavier on May 24th, the first woman religious. In the diocese. Mother Mary Xavier, birth name Yvonne, lebihan OSU, as uh, Ursuline sisters, arrived at Sausson-Marie. She was born at Codon, France in eight, in April 18, 1814. Entered the order of the Ursulines on May 22nd 1835 and professed her vows on December 11th 1838. A multi-talented woman she held numerous positions of authority from her first years as a religious. She came to the Sioux in 1853 at the invitation of Father Minet, who served as superior of the community in Sault Marie. In 1860, the community moved to Chatham, Ontario, where a flourishing community remains. Mother Mary Xavier died on May 22, 1896. Her spirit of gentle and generous holiness still inspires The community. So she arrived, uh, Barragat arrived at Sault Ste. Marie on the 4th, on July 29th, 1853. My name went before the consistory, consistory in Rome. There's a footnote. This was written upside down at the top of the page. So you must have just heard. That was the last entry for July 1853. July 1854, again, there are not very many entries, starting on July 15th. Today my missionaries arrive from Antwerp in 44 days, thanks be to God. And there's a footnote. Reverends George Steinhauser, Lawrence Lattisher, Timothy Carey and the Roche brothers, and most of them we've heard of before. Some not so good, some good. July 17th. Today I received $50 from Mr. O'Brien, making $528 in all, plus 3 equal 531, plus 5 equals 536 footnote. These gifts completed the collection by the Redemptress. Here the manuscript is mutilated and difficult to, to read. But It goes on, and today I also sent... Mr. Bartholomew Pierce to the seminary in Cincinnati. And Bartholomew Pierce was a, ne- a nephew of the Reverend Francis Pierce. He was skilled in household tasks and prepared all the meals for the travellers on the ship. That was Latisher who wrote about that. Baragher sent Pierce to Cincinnati to study theology. And that was from a letter that Baragher sent to Bishop Purcell However, Pierce went to Minnesota to study, and his uncle, realising that he had no vocation to the priesthood, uh, he then went on and married and lived in various locations in Minnesota, Colorado, and New Mexico. In the Sioux Rebellion of 1862, he suffered much property damage. In 1864, he organised the first school district in Minnesota, where he taught. In 1872, he was elected to the Minnesota State Legislature, an office he held until his death in 1896. A colourful life. Next entry, July 18th. Today, Charles Yabouf departed for Cincinnati. Baraga approved Yabouf's desire to enter the sanctuary, that's in brackets, and then required that he pay for his own education. Never ordained, Yabouf later married. Baraga wrote to him that he approved his decision. Mabouf returned to France shortly afterwards. On the following day, this is back to June, July 18th, As a footnote. On the following day, Barriga wrote to Sister Celestine of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Cardinal de Lett in Missouri to remind her of her promise to provide sisters. He later wrote, quote, For a third time I beg you to send me six of your sisters. There are a hundred children without a school at Mackinac. He also wrote to the sisters' chaplain, Father Paris. The sisters of St. Joseph finally came to the diocese in 1866. So that's ten years after he wrote the third time. July 21st. I released the two Roche brothers because of dissatisfaction. July twenty-ninth, Today is the first anniversary of my consist- consistory in Rome. Barraga was named Bishop on July 29th, 1853. And uh, back to the entry for July 29th. And also had much grief at the customs office and had to pay $310 duty for my effects. Poor me. July 31st. Today I finally left New York and on August 2nd arrived in Detroit where I have to wait again for my trunks. And there's an entry for that. On August 4th, Barriga and Bishop Lefebvre agreed that Barriga would tend to the Indian missions in the northern part of the Lower Peninsula. Barriga and Lefebvre discussed that in Detroit on August 4th, 1854. That is the entry for July for 1854. Now, moving on to 1855, July. And July 1st entry confirmation at Little Traverse. July 3rd arrived in Cheboygan and on the 4th heard confessions the entire day. Of course, we know from other entries that when Bishop Barraga says he heard confessions for the entire day, he means he heard confessions for the entire day, probably from something like seven o'clock in the morning till 10 in the evening, according to if you go by the other entries where he's talked about this. July 5th, returned to Little Travis where I found Flynn, to whom I gave $100. July 6th, to Ataba Wying, there's an entry for that, also called Middle Village, where on the 7th, I was ready all day for confessions, on the 8th, Sunday, preached and confirmed. Next entry, July 9th, arrived at Cross Village and onward. July 10th. Sailed to Beaver Island. As a footnote, the Indians were actually on Garden Island, a short distance northeast of Beaver Island. So we sailed to Beaver Island in eight hours. Here I remained three days and heard everyone's confession, and onwards. July 13th. Confirmed 44 Indians on Beaver Island, then on the same day returned to Cross Village. July 15th. Confirmation at Cross Village. About 20 souls. July sixteenth, arrived again at Mackinac and onwards. July seventeenth, departed for Grand Traverse on the propeller ship Stockman. July eighteenth, landed at Great Traverse at North Point Northport. On the following day, journeyed to and arrived at Peshabitown. Town. Next entry is July twenty-second, confirmed at Grand Traverse, Peshabitown, Town, thirty-one people. July 24th. Returned to Mackinac, where I await with longing for an opportunity to go to the Sioux. A last little chance, poor me. July 29th. Unfortunately, just on Sunday, after I had waited in vain all week, an opportunity presented itself to sail on the Illinois for the Sioux. July 30th. Arrived at Sault Ste. Marie, where I received Many letters, both good and bad. July 31st Today I confirmed conferred the minor orders on Mr. Jacker. As a footnote, Edward Jacker was born in L. in the Diocese of Rottenburg, oh, that, okay, so that would be El in the Diocese of Rottenburg, Germany, on September 2nd, 1827. Although he came to the United States to become a Benedictine, at St. Vincent Abbey in La Trobe, Pennsylvania, where he received the name of Brother Bede, he responded to the need for missionaries to the Indians. Baraga accepted him and ordained him on August 5th, 1855, and sent him to Lons. He worked in Lons, houghton hancock area until 1866, when Baraga called him to Marquette to administer the diocese while he was at the Second Plenary Council at Baltimore. Because of Barriga's stroke at Baltimore, Yaker uh, remained administrator and assistant. He was present at Barriga's death and gave the eulogy. Upon Mirak's consecration in 1869, Yacker was made vicar general until 1873. During Mirak's absence for the Vatican Council in 1870, Yacker administered the diocese. Upon Mirak's return, Yacker was sent to begin the new parish in Carmelet, in 1873, he went to St Ignace, where he researched and discovered the grave of Father Jacques Marquette. Upon Marek's resignation, he was again diocesan administrator. After Vertin's appointment, Yacker went to Hancock. He resigned the parish in the spring of 1886, going to Detour and Marquette, where he died in September the 1st, 1887. A day before his 60th birthday. He was buried in the Catholic Cemetery in Hancock in 1862. He had adopted Philomena Millie Mertz upon the death of her parents and supported her until 1872 when she married Peter Rupp Jr. in Calmonet. Throughout his life, he was exceptionally interested in nurturing young clergy. He was also a researcher and writer. His notes on the first 35 years of the diocese are invaluable his library was esteemed as one of the most complete in the region there you are, that was a, a what a fortunate thing for that man to uh, be willing to accept the call from bishop barnagar to to come to the diocese uh, without probably knowing anything about it it was just remarkable isn't it how people will just God calls, and they will they will follow. Um, and sometimes it takes people to places that they never thought that they would ever end up. Uh, says this Glasgow-born boy, who now lives in Onaway, in Michigan. God bless the strange paths that we must follow. Anyway, that's the entries for uh, July eighteen fifty-five. Now we have July eighteen fifty six. First entry is July tenth from Grand Portage in an ordinary canoe. On the eleventh, and after a rainy but otherwise, God be thanked, successful and speedy journey, arrived at Fort William. The Footnote tells us the Jesuit missionary uh, mission, the Jesuit missionary at Fort William, Father Du Raquet wrote to his superior. Bishop Barragat arrived unexpectedly on July 11th. On the 13th, he gave confirmation to 77 Indians. On the 14th, he left for Grand Portage. I accompanied him to prepare for the confirmation. On the 20th, 54 Indians received the sacraments in our small log chapel. The bishop left on the 21st for Fond du Lac. He expressed the wish that I wait for the schoolteacher, Hengny, to introduce him, in his work. During the following month he wrote again, Bishop Barrager's first pastoral visit in July 1856 has produced a beneficial impression, unfortunately a good number of our Indians were absent and especially our youth who would have needed to be revived and confirmed in their faith. Father Duna Raquette to his superior, written from Grand Portage on July 22nd and August 1856. Father Duraquette's journal gives the details of long hours of instruction, confessions, mass, vespers, etc., in which he and Bishop Barraga participated. And Bishop Barraga, back to his daddy, he says, I confirmed uh, 77 people. So he confirmed that he confirmed what Bishop, uh, what Father Duraquette uh, stated. I couldn't resist that. Sorry. No, you're probably going, oh, that's terrible. July 14th from Fort William with Father du Raquette and onwards. And so we have a little bit about him in the footnotes. Dominique Chardon du Raquette was born at Chaloux, France, in January 20th, 1813. He entered the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, in 1838 and was ordained in 1842. The same year... He came to Canada. He resided at Fort William from 1852 until 1877. From there he attended the Indian missions of Grand Marais, Grand Portage, Isle Royale, Lake Nipigon, and Long Lake. The journal that he kept from 1853 to 1877 contains much information about customs of the Indians as well as the details of the Jesuit endeavours among them. Duraquette died at Manteolin Island on December 19th, 1900. A hard-working man as well then. Back to the uh, diary. July 18th arrived at Grand Portage. July 20th confirmed 53 at Grand Portage. Footnote. After the high mass, Bishop Barriga confirmed a group of persons and after Vespers he had a second confirmation of ten newly arrived, and also a few uh, children, and that's from the former mentioned Father Duraquette's diaries. July 21st. Sailed from Grand Portage in a canoe to Superior. Poor me, why not directly to La Ponte? There's a footnote. In 1847, he nearly lost his life by taking the direct route in a canoe. A monument at the mouth of Cross River at Shoder, Minnesota, commemorates his safe arrival on the shore. July 24th. I arrived at 6pm and stayed four days with Francis Roy. Footnote. At La Ponte in December 25th, 1835, Baraga had baptised Francis Roy, then 39 years old. The Barriga stayed with him suggests that they had remained friends. Back to the diary. July 27th, a Sunday, in Superior preached five times and strongly recommended to the people that they should try soon to have a church. July 28th, sailed on the Manhattan from Superior and onwards. July 29th, arrived at La Ponte where I found many letters waiting including 8,400 francs. That's the end of the entries for July 1856. Moving into July 1857. First entry, July 2nd. Arrived at Poor Mackinac. The footnote tells us that that was. Well, strange. The footnote says January 1815 and 181857. I don't know why it's telling us that when we're in July, but anyway. July 3rd. Sailed on the Adriatic. At seven thirty a.m. and onwards, July fourth, arrived ten p.m. at Detroit. July fifth, Sunday, blessing of the church and bells at St. Philip's German Church. Footnote: St. Philip Benite Church at Columbus, Michigan, thirty miles northeast of Detroit. It is now St. Philip Neri Parish in Richmond. It was established as a mission in eighteen forties and became a parish in nineteen o seven. Father Lawrence Kilroy, Barriga's friend, was serving the entire area at the time. Kilroy doesn't sound very much like a a German name to me, but who am I to judge? Kilroy sounds much more like an Irish name. Um back to the entries. Where uh, When I preached in this is in this, St. Philip's when I preached in German and English at the request of Bishop Lefevre, I'm glad I came to Detroit at this time of the change of agents, footnote 57, uh, there's a footnote there, that um, Andrew Finch replaced Henry Gilbert as the Indian agent at Detroit. The entire week I did much running around in order to receive from the agent my money loaned to the teachers. Footnote, a regular practice, Barriga paid the teachers from his own pocket and waited for the reimbursement from the government for himself. There you are how about that? Don't know. I don't know how many priests and bishops would do that now. Here, I'll just give him. I'll I'll pay you and get the money back when I get a chance. Um, so back to the entry. It is well that I came myself to Detroit; otherwise, I would have lost at least two hundred and seventy-five dollars. Second quarter of eighteen fifty-six for Hickey and Carpenter and Brannan, and if I remember correctly, they they were all teachers. July 12th, in St. Joseph's preached in German. I told Father Francis outright that he should not come to my diocese. As a footnote, Francis Edward van Kappenhout, 1825-1880, uh, to 1880, a Belgian, was the first pastor of St. Joseph's German parish in Detroit. In 1859, he transferred to the Diocese of Albany, which is in New York, New York State. He was the pastor of St. Mary's Parish in Baldwinville, New York, where he died in 1859. So it doesn't say exactly. I guess maybe we don't know why he shouldn't be coming to, up to Marquette or see Somebody, as it was called. July 13th. Only today did I receive all the money which I had paid out in advance for the teachers in 1856, thanks be to God. So that's taken him. Half a year to get that money back. And there's a footnote. In a memorandum to Finch, Barraga listed the school's teachers and amounts due yearly. Timothy Hegney, Grand Portage, $200 for first and second quarters. William O'Donovan, Garden Island, $100 for first quarter. Mr Dylan O'Brien and Mrs Elizabeth O'Brien, Boys and Girls Schools at La Point, $100 and $75 respectively for third quarter and Barrager wrote that to Finch in July 1857. Next entry, July 14th. Departed from Detroit at 10 a.m. on the North Star. July 15th. Arrived at 2 p.m. in sault marie with the cleric John Paul Stenger. May God grant that he will become a good and zealous missionary. He is a bit of a simpleton, uh, there's a footnote for that. We'll get to that in a second on the night- the nineteenth I conferred on J. P. Stinger the four minor orders. so the first note footnote tells us that on August fourteenth eighteen fifty seven Barragher wrote to Lefevre, I send you back Father Stenger or Mr. Stenger. He cannot be alone on a mission. Barragher later explained to Henny here is the promised letter from the Benedictines which testified to the unfitness. Of poor Stenger, for the priesthood, he had surreptitiously received minor orders from me before I had received this letter. Your episcopal grace may keep this letter for future use. I do not need it any more and Badeer used um the word primoients which uh, about this guy, which apparently means either crazy or crack brained um so there we have that, that um uh, you know and that still goes on there's a case going on um the this year the year I'm recording this 2022 where uh, over in in um europe i've heard about uh, a man who managed to get a retired bishop to ordain him without proper permissions, so people still try to get up to these kind of things. Uh, Who knows how that'll unfold, but I'm presuming then that that this Mr. Stenger, um, because four minor orders meant he was was all the way up to to subdeacon, but not a deacon, so they would just have let that that go. Anyway, back to the diary after that unpleasant um, stuff. July 20th, sailed from Sault-Saint-Marie on the Illinois at 3pm. July 21st, remained in Marquette for a few hours and travelled onwards. July 22nd, towards evening arrived in Superior without calling on La Ponte. Uh, July 23rd, at 2am arrived at La Ponte where I stayed with Mr V. Paymill over Sunday the 26th and confirmed 24 people. Brought the family of schoolteacher O'Brien to La Pointe. And that O'Brien was the one that we got mentioned there about who needed to be paid. So this is Dylan O'Brien, 1818 to 1882. He was born in Roscommon, Ireland, where he received a Jesuit education. In the late 1840s, he and his wife, Elizabeth, and their four children migrated to Detroit. Barraga advanced the third quarter salary to the O'Briens. He also gave them $50 of his own money, because of their extreme need. and That was Barriger to Finch, the agent, which has been mentioned before. They taught at La Point until 1863, when, with six children, they moved to St Paul, Minnesota, where O'Brien edited the Catholic Weekly, The Chronicle, led the Father Matthews temperance societies and headed the Catholic Colonisation Bureau to encourage and assist Irish immigrants to Minnesota. He was also a speaker, writer and humorist, and a revered friend of Bishop's Grace and Ireland. um, Must have been a bishop called Ireland. I knew somebody, a bishop, who was called Ireland. He was a Melhill missionary, uh, James Ireland. Um, So I guess it is a name. Anyway, back to the entries. July 27th, sailed from La Ponte. Uh, And before he sailed from there, the footnote tells us that he baptised Baraga baptised a newly born uh, girl. Sailed from La Ponte on the North Star to Ontonogon. July 28th arrived at Ontonogon very much displeased because of the disunity of the two priests, Dunn and Fox, and because Dunn did not appear satisfied to go to Mackinac. On the 31st, Mr Fox came to Ontonogon and returned again to Minnesota on August 1st. Dun & Fox sounds like some kind of vaudeville act, doesn't it? But their actions, of course, were really causing disunity and harm. And, of course, that's the kind of thing that uh, you still find where priests are talking ill of other priests. That is, apart from the fact that nobody should be doing that, that's a very, very um, shoddy thing. Um, And priests who do that kind of thing... um, Again, they will get themselves in very serious trouble with the Lord. So we need to all be careful as priests that we are doing our utmost to to not bad mouth. I mean, if people are telling a priest something that another priest got up to and it's harmful to the faithful, you have to point it out to them. But uh, petty, pecky, uh, petty bickerings between clergy is something that should not be uh, should not be happening. Um, what is that? There's an expression I think we have in Britain. You don't wash your don't wash your dirty linen in public, and uh, it would seem that Dunn and Fox were doing that very thing. But that's the end of the entries for eighteen fifty seven. Now we're into eighteen fifty eight. July fourth is the first entry. Sunday in Eagle Town, twenty confirmations. Peter Terhost was almost sent away by Mr because You know, often when I'm saying these misters, these are actually priests. So I suspect what's in his diary, what um, Baraga might be writing is, um, he's actually writing um, Monsieur, and it's been taken as Mister. Um, and then I would have to take him with me to uh, Mackinac. So it tells us down here, who is Terhorst, so it's Gerhard Terhorst was born in Westphalia, Germany, on October 3rd, 1829. He studied with Father Mirak until Bishop Barriga sent him to the Sioux in July 1860, where he was ordained on December 23rd, 1860. In May 1861, he was assigned to the Indian Mission at Launce, where he worked until his death on his 72nd birthday, 1901. A simple wooden cross marked his grave in the old Mission Cemetery at Asinins. So, there we are. That was a a hard-working priest, we hope. Um, July 5th. Road to Northport. Where to my great displeasure, but to my good luck, the Reverend Mr Moyce laid over at Dame's for six days. And the footnote tells us, Venatius Moise, that's a good name, Venatius. I uh, went to seminary with somebody called Venatius. Venatius Moise later went to Brooklyn where Bishop John Lachlan received him upon Baraka's recommendation. And The note says, how I found Mr Moise, he was dissatisfied with our poor mission, no intemperance or immorality. And that's his recommendation. Voice was pastor at St Mary's Church, Northampton, Massachusetts, when he died on August 5th, 1872. Back to the entries. July, July 11th. Offered mass at Cat Head, which is on the northwest coast of the Leelanau Peninsula, um, I wonder if it's still called that, and preached twice in French and twice in Indian. On the same day, at 5pm, sailed on the propeller Troy for Mackinac. July 12th, early in the morning at 3am, arrived at Mackinac. I sailed over to Pont St Ignis, where I remained two days like my Jesus in Samaria. That's from John 4, 40. July 14th, confirmed four persons and then crossed over to Mackinac. Footnote, from Mackinac Baraga asked Lefebvre to cash a draft from the foundation that was set up by the propagation for faith for 7,600 francs. And Baraga, sorry, he also informed Finch, that's that Indian agent, that he could not prevail in on Mr. Nicholas Murray to remain at Sheboygan. His immediate successor is Mr. Frank Smith, a good and practical teacher, a man of family. I always prefer married teachers when I can have them. That was a letter that Barriga sent to Fitch on... July 15th 1858 and in a previous entry we had Barriger explain if you remember um, why he prefers married men he feels that they're less of a risk and they settle down better and that the Indians deal with them better so back to the entries July 17th Mr Patrick Venatius Moyes cleric uh, arrived here today and I won him over God be thanked for my diocese. Footnote, Baraga was eager for the additional priest on Lake Superior. Mr Dunn had just, Father Dunn, had just left Untonoggin and the diocese. And we saw that note. This occurred to me, praise God, during my delay of six days at Grand Traverse, because if I had been finished here in Mackinac last Sunday, then on the 14th I would have gone ahead on the Illinois, and I would have not made, as I hope. This good acquisition. Footnote. The, some of the text has been crossed out and some of the abbreviations there are unknown. And I'm wondering if that's because, as we heard earlier on, that uh, moise eventually left the, the diocese to go elsewhere. Back to the July entries. July 18th, Sunday. Preached in English and French and after the High Mass confirmed 45 persons in the evening. I went with Mr moise on the steamer, planet. July 19th on at 10 a.m. I arrived at the Sioux and immediately had difficulties with Father Menet about Brannan. Footnote, Bishop, Bishop Barragher assigned Brannan to teach at the Sioux, he explained. There is another change of teachers at your school district. Mr Yacker takes, well, that's Father Yacker as we know, takes Mr Brannan's place at Lons. May Mr Brannan tell you what he pleases. I am very satisfied with the change. Father Yacca is, is is as good an English scholar as Mr. Brannan, if not better. And secondly, Father Yacca, being the missionary of that band, will better be able to compel the children to come to school rather than the other person. That was the letter to the Agent Finch. Uh, the completing of the, the entry for July 19th, Mr. Moyce is preparing himself for ordination, which he will receive this week, July 21st. Mr. Moyce received the sub- subdiaconate, July 23rd. Mr. Moyce received the diaconate, July 24th. Mr. Moyce received the priesthood. This afternoon on ordination day, Mr. Moyce and I boarded the propeller North Light to sail for Superior. However, I soon regretted this foolishness, foolishness and we got off again at the head of the canal, thanks be to God. July 25th, Mr Moise the Reverend Moise now, celebrated his first Mass, received many consoling letters. Footnote, one of the letters was from Lefebvre with the money Baraga had requested. That's from that previous footnote. Thanks be to God. The last entry for July 1858, uh, July 29th. Finally, today I sailed with Mr moise for superior on the city of Cleveland. However, when we arrived in Ontonogon, Captain Lundy did not intend to continue sailing and I had to remain there for two days. That ends the entries for July 1858. And now we move on to July 1859. July 2nd. This afternoon I arrived in Yakar was not there. He had sailed for Eagle Harbour to have Father Teal treat his ailing foot. Thus I did not remain long in Lons. Now there's a footnote and it's one of those those long ones so let's hope that I can, I think I will, be able to to get it in. So Barrager wrote an account of this visitation. On June 29th, on my 62nd birthday, I set out on my journey and on July 2nd I arrived at my former mission station of Lons. This time I had much consolation in this mission. It has increased considerably, so that the mission church is now too small to accommodate all the people who assemble there on Sundays. But even more consoling and joyful for me was the assurance given to me by some pagans from the distant settlement of vieux That is, they told me, that they themselves and many of their relatives and acquaintances, all of whom are still pagans, will come to Lons next summer and be converted to the Christian Catholic religion. By this increase of the mission, the church will now be entirely too small. I therefore promise the Indians that next year I will come to them earlier, remain with them longer and will have their church lengthened by almost a half. Of course, this will have to be done at my expense inasmuch as the Indians have little or no money. The zealous and exemplary missioner Yacker continues to labor at Launce. He works very hard and especially for the mission school. From Launce I went to Eagle Harbour, and on the following day to a copper mine known as Clark Mine. This copper mine is being operated by a French company from Paris, and all the miners in its employ are Catholics. The Reverend Teal The indefatigable missionary from Eagle Harbour attends to these Catholics. He comes here from time to time, offers mass, preaches and hears their confessions of the miners, some of them whom are French and others are Irish. I went in this mine to ask its directors if they would build a neat little church there so that the priest when he comes will have a respectable place for the celebration of the divine service. It is hoped that this church will be erected next summer. After I had spent a Sunday with the Reverend Teal at his mission at Eagle Harbour, I went with him to the famous cliff mine from which millions of dollars of copper have already been taken, which is still so abundantly rich that it usually produces 150 to 180 tonnes, about 300,000 pounds, of the nicest pure copper every month. Here, a few nice and spacious. Uh, sorry, here a new, nice and spacious St Mary's Church will be built this year. Preparations for the building of this new church have already been made a long time ago, and now it's it is completed, as is almost the residence for the priest, though no priest has yet been stationed here. It is hoped, however, that this will happen soon. In the meantime, Father Teal comes here every third Sunday from Eagle Harbour and holds divine service. And when he comes, he preaches each time in English, German and French languages, and also hears confessions in these three languages inasmuch as his congregation consists of Irish, German and French Canadians. For the building of this church, it was necessary for me to contribute $300, besides a nice bell, which has cost me an additional $116. The directors of this copper mine although they are Protestants, have contributed $100 to the church. This shows that they are inclined to be friendly towards us, although they do not belong to our religion. It is very pleasing that we now have there a regular church because the congregation is large and since its very beginning has already shown a special spirit of piety and great zeal for attending the divine service and for the reception of the Holy Sacrament. Every time... That the priest comes here his confessional is besieged by the penitents all of three nations all come and at the masses which he offers there are present if only one can come all three nations are represented next i went to marquette where a french priest father father duro is missioner here are the famous and exhaustible iron mines the iron of which as one generally reads in our newspapers excels in qualities every other iron known previously does not. These mines are about 15 English miles away from Lake Superior but a good railroad runs there on which one comes there in less than an hour. In these mines a church is now also to be built for many Catholics labor there German, Irish and French from Canada. In the little city of Marquette which lies by Lake Superior a church has been built several years ago In which Father Duroc lives. By now, a church will also be built up in the mines so that the priest, when he goes there, will no longer offer Mass and preach in a house as previously, but in a regular church. It is really pleasing to see these regions so desolate where only a few years ago nothing else stood but a dark primeval forest. New churches are being built for the glory of God and for the salvation of many souls. From there, I went to Portage Lake where five large copper mines are in operation, all of which are located close to each other. Here are now very many people, and two-thirds of the population is Catholic. This is a newer location, because the mines here prove to be productive. The summer, a very large, nice and sturdy church has been built there. Though it is only of wood, as are all of our churches, it is very strong and durable. On July 31st, on St Ignatius Day, I have dedicated the house of God, in the name of this mi- same missionary saint, whose spirit, spiritual sons were and still are the greatest missionaries. I have dedicated the Church of St Ignatius with distinctive solemnity. I sang there a pontifical mass and was assisted by three priests, which in these missions, so far distant from each other, cannot happen very often. On the same Sunday I installed here a resident priest, and till now Father Yacker of Launce took care of this station and said mass and preached in the local schoolhouse, but which now is burned down. After I had visited some smaller stations, I came to the big and very productive copper mine of Minnesota, where the distinguished missionary, the Reverend Martin Fox, labours with saintly and persevering zeal. Beside the large congregation at Minnesota, which consists of Germans, Irish and French people, he has three other church congregations to care for, and which he visits from time to time. Besides a great holy spiritual zeal, God has also given him a strong and durable physique, which always triumphs victoriously over all hardships, of which there are many, and which would tire and exhaust two ordinary priests. May God keep him with us for a long time, and reward him for his indefatigable salutary activity. Last summer, when I came, to Reverend Fox's nice, elegant, and big church, it is the nicest and biggest in the entire diocese, was not yet completed. Now it's almost entirely finished. And on September 4th, I dedicated it to the, the Almighty God in the name of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, and also the nice organ that Reverend Fox had sent from Buffalo, resounded for the first time. This is the first genuine organ in my entire poor missionary diocese here in my cathedral, as well as in all other churches, we have only one such one organ, and the ones we have are known as melodones. From Minnesota, I again return to Sault Marie when I arrive, thanks be to God, safe and well. And I don't think I'm going to get a whole lot more of these July entries in for. For this month, but um, we will carry on next time when I will be doing the entries for, for August. Um, one of the benefits I've found from, from doing this, and I hope you've all found it too, is many of the place names of course now I know, having been nearly 10 years in the Diocese, but also the fact that that now, as a priest, I live in my own, and many of these men lived in their own, um, and they faced adversity, and sometimes you know you look out and you see the gaps in your congregation now, for churches that used to be full, or you have adoration or confessions, and very few people are coming, and you know that these men, who you hear about in the book, not least Bishop Barriga, that these men, uh, strived very hard. And if you persevere, then people will respond and people will start coming back to confessions, people will come to adoration, people will the the faith will be revived. Um, I, as I understand, I'm open to correction on this, but I think that our diocese is still considered a missionary diocese, and so it should should be, because some of the things that we face. Uh, are the same problems that they faced all that faced all that time ago, and of course, the diff- the difference for us is that we're in a world that is sending a very very strange and peculiar message to so many people, uh, and particularly in this the the world we're in just now, where the identity of what it is to be a human being is actually uh, being eroded, and it's very confusing for for people when the children are being asked what pronouns they would like to be addressed with in schools. That's just very peculiar, and um, let's hope and pray that people wisen up and that all stops. And don't get despondent, because the the French Revolution, or the particularly the year that they called the Terror, these things were happening then. It was some very, very peculiar and disturbing things happening at that time. And we've moved... Humanity moved on from that. Communism in the shape of what Albania and uh, Yugoslavia and the Soviet Union, that distortion of humanity, we've moved on from that, that too. So as long as we stay faithful, don't get despondent about the bizarre things that you hear about priests getting up to or bishops or the strange things that perhaps you sometimes hear a pope say what we need to do is stay strong in the faith ourselves and make sure that we encourage each other. It may seem lonely at times, but it's not lonely. Uh, if any of you have been listening to uh, Father Mike Schmitz and his Bible in a year, which is, was a terrific thing that he did, and I believe he's going to be doing the Catechism in a year, he regularly says uh, at the end of his casts that we're a community. And we have to be praying for each other. And and I don't think I've said that before at the end of these. But I would encourage that, that that's what you do. That you take the time to pray for our diocese. Pray for Marquette. Uh, pray for the, the priests that they can get that missionary zeal that we heard that Father Fox had. That he's working like, like two men. And that that people begin to to respond uh, as well. We have a lot of work to do, all of us. We need to just make sure that we stay faithful. So let's pray now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you, and with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, keep you, watch over you, and guide your families. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Goodbye for now. Thanks for joining us today. You can listen again to this or any other episode of Let's Talk Catholic at our blog, letstalkcatholicpodcast.blogspot.com, or you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or almost any other podcast provider. You can also like us on Facebook. Let's Talk Catholic is produced by Nick Medelsky and can be heard right here on Relevant Radio in Northern Michigan, Saturdays at noon.